Man, you guys can have a seat. Good morning. If you got your Bibles, grab them. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Um, we're going to take seven, the first 17 verses in Colossians chapter 3. Uh, I feel like I have a lot of notes this morning, more than I usually have. So we might be here a while. But you have padded seats, so I don't feel bad for you. Um, Colossians chapter 3, let me just read it. I'm going to jump right in. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through him. Amen. Let's pray one more time. Father, please help us now. Please help me. Please give me the words to speak in the moment that I need them. Please open the eyes of our heart that we could see wonderful things from your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys ever watched the TV show, The Middle? Have you watched that show? Do we have a picture of that up there, Josh? Have you ever watched that? Um, yeah, I try not to promote movies and TV shows, but sometimes it just works so well. Um, this show, I, I haven't, my, my uh, sister and brother-in-law and their family, they, they really love the middle, and they kind of got us into it for a little bit. We watched a little bit of it. It's, it's, it's pretty funny. And the idea here is, uh, the title of the show, The Middle, is that you've got a middle-class, middle-aged, Midwestern couple, uh, Frankie and uh, Mike, uh, heck, who, uh, um, they're just trying to get by, and so every, and they're, you know, they're just living in the middle of everything, and, uh, you know, they're always trying to get ahead, uh, maybe get ahead, ahead financially, or get ahead socially, or with status, or recognition, or whatever. Uh, but many times, um, at least a lot of the shows that I watch, most of the shows end with, at the end of the show, it's them as a family, just all sitting down on the couch, 
and they try to get ahead, but they but they can't. This just they're just continually in the middle. They just can't seem to get to get out of the middle. They're always striving to get ahead to get to that that upper crust or that upper class or that that next level, no matter what that next level is. But they're just always they're just always stuck in the middle. And um, the reason I bring that up is because I feel like so many Christians, that's where we live in our Christian life, is we just feel like we're constantly stuck in the middle, and we just can't get ahead. We just can't seem to be that, that really spiritual Christian that everybody wants to be, or that we read about, or like the missionary, or about, you know, that really godly person that they, they seem to have, you know, these great encounters with God, or God's always moving in their life. We just, it just, just seems like you're just always kind of, kind of stuck in the middle. And uh, one of the great realities of the gospel is that because of what Christ has done, even though you may feel like you're stuck in the middle, brother or sister, if you have trusted Christ, you are not stuck in the middle. As we read in verse 1, you have been raised with Christ. You are seated with him in the heavenly realms. And there's a sense in which at times, I understand, it does feel like here on earth, there's a sense in which it's very true. We, we are kind of in the middle. We have been justified. And now we're living in this period of sanctification and we're waiting for glorification. We're waiting until sin is completely eradicated and is no more and, and will not trip us up. And so there's a sense in which we do live in the middle, but, but the way that we need to live our Christian lives in the middle is not uh, like uh, Mike and Frankie. And just kind of striving to get there, but understanding that we've been placed there. We've been placed above by Christ. And it's from this position above that we need to live. In, in the book of Colossians, so this past uh, week and a half, um, the Bible reading plan, if you've been following along with that, has had us uh, in Colossians. And, and Colossians is a really interesting book because most commentator, commentators don't, th there's a heresy going on in Colossae, this city. And Paul's never been there. Uh, uh, his, his buddy Epaphras, his co-worker, has kind of planted the church there. But Paul's writing to them because there's some false teaching going on. But, but the heresy is a little bit hard to figure out. So in the, in the New Testament, you have two primary heresies um, that uh, the church was dealing with. One was legalism. And so you see this very strongly in the book of Galatians where, you know, these uh, legalistic teachers come in. They say, yeah, Jesus, but Jesus plus. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus the law. Jesus plus some Old Testament ceremonies, things like that. And then you also have uh, the other heresy that's primary in the New Testament is not just legalism, but Gnosticism. And, not wh and where legalism was like you would do outward rituals of some sort, and that would somehow make you holy, that Gnosticism was kind of like this, um, kind of like a New Age spirituality that you would just, like you never, it was just kind of like mysticism. So, so picture like some really conservative legalism meets Oprah Winfrey and some New Age spirituality. And you put those two together and they have a baby and that's the, that's the heresy in Coloss, okay, in Colossae. Is that it's this idea that like there's some more you need to do outwardly, but there's also these super spiritual experiences that, that man, oh, maybe you've, you've not had them, but I've had them. And, and maybe it's, and even sometimes like this, um, it's, it's these, uh, it's kind of like people that you bump into and they do something that's just kind of weird, okay, just weird spiritually, like maybe they just kind of wander up and they're like, Joe, thus saith the Lord. And you just kind of have this word for you. Now, I'm not trying to like totally mock that wholesale because I do think that God, you know, lays things on our hearts sometimes to share with people and um, 
totally believe in that. But, but, but it's just kind of weird and it doesn't hit you right. I don't know if you've ever bumped into this, but I've had people do this to me and they're like, is that, they, they tell it to me and then is, is that, they're like, is that, is that speaking to you? And I'm like, no. One time, this is the honest truth, I had a guy come up over and kind of like prophesy over me and give me this word. He goes, is that making sense? And I said, ah, no, do you want to try again? Because it just, it just wasn't, and so, but then these people would say, well, the Lord, here's what they say. Here's their trump card that they get out and they're like, well, the Lord told me to. The Lord told me to. Well, God, God told me to. God said, and so I was just, I was just being obedient, like, ah, I don't think that was the Lord. <laughs> but so that's, that's kind of what you've got going on in, 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 in Colossae. But, but either way, the, the point is this, is that whether it's through man-made religious ceremony and ritual that you're working on, or whether it's some sort of mystical Oprah Winfrey New Age-like experience that you're trying to have. The, uh, the, the heresy is that you're constantly having to strive for something that you do not yet have. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, we have been made complete. Jesus finished it on the cross. And to think that you need to strive for it or that you need to work your way out of the middle, whether it's through religious ceremony or whether it's through some sort of mystical experience, is to minimize the blood of Christ. Very, very quickly, I told you I have a lot to say today. We'll get to the text here. But, but go flip back to chapter 2 in Colossians. Look at verse 8 in chapter 2. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. It's all about Christ. In fact, if, if you, in, in the book of Colossians, um, Christ or Lord or Him or His or whom, all referring to Christ is mentioned over 70 times in these four chapters, 50 times in the first two chapters. Paul explicitly says, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And when we get confused, when we think that we need to, you know, there's something else we need to strive for, we need to come back, we need to say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Look at verse 9 in chapter 2. It says, for in him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Jesus is God was not created he is the creator he upholds all things by his powerful word he is the one that set all the stars in place and called each one by name he holds your very breath in his hand in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily and then look at verse 10 and you have been filled in him you have been filled in him this here in the in the strong concordance i looked this up this past week it's the idea here for be, be filled or some of your english translations might say in him you've been made complete it's the same idea but it's this idea to make full to fill up to fill to the full to cause to abound to furnish or supply liberally i abound i am liberally supplied to render full to complete to fill to the top so that nothing will be wanting to fill to the brim that's the textbook definition and that's your position in Christ. That Jesus has paid it all, and so all to him we owe. And so what I want to do here over in chapter 3 is, again, it, there's a sense in which we live in the middle. 
it feels like that. I understand that. But there's another sense in which we've been raised. And there's, there's, four, there's four perspectives that I just want to point out here in these first 17 verses of chapter 3 that I hope will help you to live victoriously so that you don't feel at the end of every single day like you're not victorious and all you can do is flop down on the couch and just think, man, I'm, I'm, I'm no good and not have any joy or feel like you have any victory in your life because Christ has done enough. Four perspectives, okay? Here's what I want you to see. That in order to live victoriously in what I think Paul's going to point us to, we need to learn to look down, to look in, to look out, and to look up. Look down, look in, look out, look up. Can you say that with me? Look down, look in, look out, look up. One more time. Look down, look in, look out, and look up. What do I mean? Let me unpack that. First of all, look down. Look down from your victorious position in Christ. Verse 1, if then you have been raised, and it's kind of like a rhetorical question. Some of the English translations here, and I think this is better, it says since, since you have been raised. Since you have been raised with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What are we to look down on? Everything. All of life. We are to see from above, from our new position in Christ. Even though we're here on earth and it doesn't feel like we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, that's why we live by faith, not by feelings. Been saying that a lot lately to you. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. A few things about this position. Number one, it is, it is above. It's, it's, it's higher. In any battle of any sort, to gain the high ground is always an advantage. Brothers and sisters, you have the advantage. You've been seated with Christ. Not only are we seated above, but we are seated where Christ is. Christ is there. We are seated with Christ in heaven. Everything that we need for life and godliness is found in Christ because in Him we've been made complete. And we're seated with Him. And so it's now through relationship. It's through trust in Him that all of our victory outwardly that we're looking to see, it starts there. It starts by clinging to Him, by identifying with Him, not in anything else. Um, thirdly, in Christ is at the right hand of God. We're seated above, we're seated with Christ, and we're seated at the right hand of God. Do you know what the verse is in the Old Testament? that is quoted most frequently in the New Testament? Bible trivia. Caught you off guard. Got a candy bar right here for anybody who can answer. No? I'm just kidding. I don't have a candy bar. Don't. Um, the, the, the passage of Scripture in the Old Testament that is repeated, quoted most frequently in the New, New Testament is Psalm 110. Psalm 110. There's a couple of verses within Psalm 110, but primarily is Psalm 110, verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, this is David writing before Jesus would have come. It says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So David had some sort of a prophetic insight. And he, see, he, and he says, the Lord said to my Lord. And what he's seeing in some way is God speaking God the Father speaking to God the Son. 
the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Here's why this is very important theologically in the massive scope. I mean, you almost can't get any bigger than this of what God is doing now and throughout all of human history. Is that what God is doing right now, now that Christ has been risen, he is seated at the right hand of God, and God is working everything. He is going to put every enemy under Christ's feet. And that becomes really, really, really good news for us who are also seated with Christ in heaven. Almighty God, who has all rule and all authority, he says to Christ, sit at my right hand. You just hang out there. I'm going to destroy every enemy. And if we've trusted Christ, though we were once enemies, now our life is hidden with Christ in God. We are seated. We are seated above. What are you worried about this morning? What is causing you your anxiety and your stress? You need to change your perspective. And what you need to do is you need to look down on it from above. And he says that since you have been raised, to seek the things that are above. And so, again, the logic here of the Bible, I'll get into this a little bit, but it's not that we seek to get there. We are there. And so since we're there, we seek these things that are above. Every blessing, every blessing at Christ's right hand. We are secure in Christ. He goes on here, verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. And the, the, the idea here of set your mind, that's not a great translation either. The idea is have this mind or have this attitude. Let all of your thoughts be shaped by this reality is what he's saying. Let all of your thoughts, the way you view the world, everything that comes at you, good, bad, or ugly, relationship, good relationship, bad relationship, strained relationship, view everything from this position in Christ. That if we're not just going to live in the middle and try to strive for something that we already have, we have to understand that we're seated above and we have to begin to look down on it from above. And he goes on, verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Your life is hidden. And there's two realities to this. One is that it's hidden, it's secure. It's not going anywhere. Your security is proportionate to Christ's security seated at the Father's right hand and the certainty of God putting all his enemies under his feet. Let me just say it real bluntly. Brother, sister, if you have truly been born again and the Spirit of God lives in you, you can't lose it. You are safe. You are secure. And so many Christians... Deep down, they're a little bit worried that there's something that they could do to mess this thing up. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. In heaven, at the Father's right hand. There's a sense in which we have to, we do strive, we take up our cross and we follow Jesus. But there's another sense in which when we're seated from above and we're viewing everything from there, what do you got to do? Just chill, man. I'm not saying be apathetic. I'm not saying don't, don't seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But there's another sense in which you need to learn to abide. You need to learn to just rest in the finished 
work of Christ. Secondly, and, and again, the order here is somewhat important, but the, the only thing that matters the most is that we first get this perspective of looking down, looking down from above. Secondly, I want to say that we should look in. Look at verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is the earthly in you, in you. What is earthly in you this morning? What is earthly in you? You got to understand this reality of the Christian life, folks. Okay, this is why so many Christians are confused, and I get it. Okay, because it's not natural to us. And I want to show you here the logic of the Bible versus the logic of just natural human beings. Okay? First of all, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Though we are seated with Christ in heaven, there's a sense in here on earth that there is still sin. There's earthliness in us. What do we need to do with it? We need to kill it. We need to kill it. Because remember, we're seated with Christ spiritually in heaven. And he's working all things together for good. And he's going to put all enemies under his feet, including the enemies that are kind of still stuck in his children. There'll be death or sin or rebellion or addiction or whatever it is. God is working that out in your life. But it doesn't mean that we don't play a role. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now, now listen to the logic of the Bible. Because if you're, if you're following the text closely here, you, th- there should be something like, wait a minute, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Because the, the logic of man of natural man is this, is that if we die, then we will be dead. If we put it to death, then it will be dead. If we seek to get above, then we'll be seated above. If we are victorious, then we will be victorious. If we put it off, then it will be off. If we put it on, then it will be on. That is exactly the opposite of the logic that the Bible gives us. Again, look at the text. The Bible says not if you can die, then you will be dead. The Bible says you have died, if you're in Christ. You have died, so kill it. You have died, so put it, so put it to death. The Bible says not to strive to get above, and then you'll be above. The Bible says you have been raised with Christ. You are above. Now seek the things that are above. Later on here, going down, like look at, look at, look at verse 8 and 9. But now you must, must put away... Put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene, talking about. Put them away. Put them away. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. So put them all away but, and put it off, but you've put it off. Is that weird? It seems a little weird to us naturally. And I'm not trying to be confusing here, but, I'm saying, but the point is, is in every, all of our Christian obedience, we don't just start by just looking in or or, or looking out and trying to fight it here. We fight it from above. The first step of obedience in the Christian's life is always, 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 always faith. It is always trust. It's always believing what Christ has done and that he is victorious. This is why, you you know, you've heard me say sometime, it's not just a cute little Christian cliche that doesn't mean anything. We don't work for victory. We work for from victory we don't work for an identity we work from our identity and we put things to death because we have died verse 3 you have died verse 5 put it to death therefore it's let me explain like it's the difference between the if and the therefore man's logic involves an if god's logic involves a therefore 
One is a condition. Um, the other one is an implication. Man says, if I can do this, then I will be this. God says, you are this, therefore act this way. Therefore be this. Live this. Live this out. Because of what, <coughs> because of what Christ has done. But brothers and sisters, and what he wants us to do here because of what he has done, because of his death, is that he wants us to put it to death. Your sin is not cute and cuddly. You cannot tame it. I feel like I've told you guys this story before, but have, a, have you heard of Ming of Harlem? You know who Ming of Harlem is? Ming of Harlem is a tiger. Or he was a tiger. He died now. But um, a famous tiger. There was a guy named Antoine Yates in 2000 who purchased an eight-week-old Siberian tiger cub and thought it would be a good idea to keep it in his apartment in New York City, in Harlem. It was okay for a while, but it began to grow and grow and grow. And he was sharing an apartment with a tiger until one day, I think it was in September of 2003, he checked himself in to uh, a Harlem Hospital ER because of big bite marks in his arm and in his leg from the tiger. He even then still was trying to lie and to, and to cover it up. He said it was his pit bull. But they were looking at the size. But they were looking at the size of the bite marks, and they're like, eh, "That's not a pit bull." And then it was finally discovered that he had been, he had been sharing this apartment with this uh, tiger that was now close to a thousand pounds. And this is what we try to do with our sin. We think we can take it in. We think we can feed it. We think we can tame it. We think we can make it our friend. And we think that we can share our lives with it. We think that we can share an apartment with it. Brother and sister, it's going, sooner or later, it's going to bite you. And you have to kill it. And you have to kill it by faith and take some action. But by faith first, looking at what Christ did. Looking at Christ hanging on the cross bearing the wrath of God because of your and my sin. That's why he died. To deal with sin so that we could be accepted by God the Father justly and rightly. Yes, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But God could not deny his own justice. And the penalty for that sin had to be justly paid for. And so Christ and so Christ did it. And so when I say look in, we'll first look down, but then we look in. Not to tame our sin, but to kill it. Not to tame our sin, but to kill it. Third, we need to look out. Look down, look in, kill our sin, and then look out to love others. Notice some of the parallels here between Paul saying in verse 8 and 9 to put them away and to put them off. And then in verse 10, he says, put on. So he states the negative, and then he states the positive. Verse 10, he says, and have put on you who have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen one, Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. You have put it on, verse 10, so verse 12, so put it on. You have put it on, 
so put it on. Christ died for you. You're now seated with him. You've been made clean. You're secure. So live in accordance with that. Don't live in accordance with the old way of the world. Put that to death and then put it on. But here's the thing. When I say look out to love others, all of the things that he mentions here, you, you cannot obey the direct commands of Scripture here, primarily in verses 12 through 14, without being in relationship. Like all of these things are relational. They imply that you're involved in community. And the community that he's primarily speaking of here, although I think it would apply to the world in any relationship with anybody anywhere, but primarily in the church. Is that if there are brothers or sisters or there are family members that you are harboring any sort of unforgiveness or bitterness towards. God says, because you've put on the new self, put on the new self. Make the choice to choose to respond to people not in the old way of, again, verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, or any sort of sexual immorality, as is listed in verse 5. Excuse me. But put on the new self. How many of you put on clothes this morning when you came to church? Captain Obvious speaking here. Yes, you did. How many of you had more than one thing in your closet to choose from this morning? Yes? Raise your hand high. Participate. Come on. There you go. You had more than one shirt. You had more than one pair of pants. You had more than one dress. Again, this might seem simplistic, but I think it makes the point, and we need to get this, because it's not any more complicated than this, is why are you wearing what you're wearing right now? You chose it. You picked what you have on. You went to your closet, and there was a, a, a variety of things, some more than others, you know, things to choose from. You picked one thing, and you decided to put it on. Brother, sister, if the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, the choice to clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and to bear with one another in love, and to forgive each other, it is that simple. It is that simple. I understand that there may be pain. I understand that there may be hurt. How many of us here, let's do, again, crowd participation day today, okay? How many of you have been hurt by other people before? Anybody? Everybody? Yeah? Okay. So we're all in the same boat, amen? Everybody's been hurt. Now hear me. I'm totally willing to admit that some in some extremely difficult ways. I am not trying to minimize your pain in any way. But what I am saying is that in Christ Jesus, because of what Christ has done, and you're now seated with him, and if you can look down from above from your new position in Christ and you look in at your sin, you have the ability to choose to put on what Christ requires. And again, don't, don't skip over this in verse 12 here. Paul just weaves this in here. Again, he's always bringing us back to identity, who we are, and that, how that influences what we do. At the very beginning of verse 12, put on then, before he lists them, as God's chosen ones. As God's chosen ones. 
the reason I'm telling you it's true to choose to put on these things and to put them on even when it may seem difficult is because God chose to choose you. He chose you as his son or as his daughter. And if you put your faith and trust in him, don't overcome it. Like, you're, 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 you're chosen. If you've trusted him as your savior, you're chosen. And if he chose you, you can now choose because his spirit lives in you. And the same Christ who hung on the cross and as they hurled insults at him and were, were wrongly, unjustly crucifying him, and as he hung there, he chose to say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That same Christ lives in you. And you can choose to put on um, those things out of your closet. If I can just tease out this analogy a little bit more, this isn't in my notes, but this whole closet thing is kind of speaking to me. But if you go back and you, and you compare that to with, with not just choosing to put on the right thing, but also going back into verses 5 through 9 and putting away the old things, my wife asks me fairly regularly, why do you keep all those t-shirts? You don't wear them anymore. Mainly because I've gotten too fat for them. But, um, but I think maybe someday it'll fit again. No. <laughs> but, but in the same way, like, it works both choose to put on the right thing, but some of you too, th- there's, there's a bunch of old stuff. Anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and, and the best thing in the world for you would just be to take that out of your closet and just to go burn it or take it to save and serve where Alan will sort through it <laughs> Alan volunteers at save it sorry that was kind of an inside joke Alan, me and Alan thought it was funny um, sorry but just guys get, get rid of it don't leave it hanging in your closet because Christ doesn't want you to put that on Amen? So we look down, we look in to kill our sin, to get rid of it, to put it away. We look out to love others. Guys, think about others. Don't think about yourself. And finally, and this is, this is going to seem simple, but man, I'm telling you, this is powerful. And you can always tell when you've kind of worked through these things be, as to whether or not you, you, you get to this place, and that is to look back up and give thanks. To look up and give thanks. We look down, we look in, we look out, and look up and give thanks. Verse 15 through 17. Three times here he mentions being thankful. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Why do we give thanks? Because Jesus has done everything that ultimately needs to be done. He's the one that we're thanking. If I were to ask the people closest to you that know you the best, that see you in situations where it's just you and them, probably family, maybe coworkers, people that see you regularly, um, would they say that you're a thankful person? Would they say that you're a thankful person? Um, this is something that is to mark God's people. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes, I, again, I think it's something that in a lot of ways is a fruit 
of understanding what Christ has done. But I also think it's something that, because again here, in, in this context, um, there's a sense in which it's, it's a fruit or just a result of having joy in the Holy Spirit. Th- there's another sense in which it's almost like a discipline. It's something outwardly that we can do to set our hearts right and to help get us above and to help all these other perspectives fall into place. It's like if you're struggling in your life right now with just feeling overwhelmed, feeling like things aren't going your way, what if you would get up tomorrow and maybe even you know, write this specifically about the person that's bothering you or about the situation that's bothering you and just begin to write out five to ten things that you're thankful for. Maybe in that situation or maybe just in other situations. You know, it, it's just, it's not possible to maintain anger and wrath and malice and slander and hatred towards somebody and at the same time just be intentional about giving thanks to God for them. You just can't do it. And I would argue that maybe this is one of the ways that we put these things to death. The things, the things in us, the bitterness that we're hanging on to, that maybe one of the ways we put it to death is, you know what, I don't feel it right now. <laughs> you ever said that to the Lord? Lord, I don't feel like being nice to them right now. <laughs> but you just do it. And you just begin to just give thanks preemptively as you start your day. I'm telling you that as simple as that may sound, I, I truly believe that this is something that has the power to absolutely radically transform your life. If you will just simply obey the word, be thankful. Do it with thankfulness. Thank God for people, which is the context of what he's just been talking about. Not only that, look at verse 16, how he, what he, what he you know, again, in between the two of these thankful commands here. But he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Rather, maybe, maybe, maybe instead of rather than sitting down and, you know, studying the Bible, and, 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 I, and again, this is something that's, that, that's good for me because, you know, I can, I'm studying my sermon every week and I'm looking up the verbs and the original Greek and, you know, the, the, the tense and what is he really saying and what does, it, what does this really mean? Maybe you just need to sit down and you just need to begin to study the Word and every promise that you come to, you need to get somewhere by yourself where you can just say out loud, God, thank you. Thank you that you've saved me. Thank you that you've raised me. Thank you that I'm complete in you. Thank you that you're never going to leave me or forsake me. Thank you that there's nothing that can separate me from your love. Thank you that you are somehow, even though I don't understand it and I don't see it, you are working all things together for good. God, thank you. Brothers and sisters, this is what should mark us as God's people, that the Word of God will be dwelling in us richly and that it would fuel our thanksgiving. Again, not our striving that if we can just do the right religious acts or if we can just have some sort of super spiritual experience where, you know, we sit around for five hours in the lotus position, you know, humming or something, then maybe something special is going to happen. But that we thank God for what Christ has done. That was an amen there. That's what that was. Good. That we thank him for what he's done. And I'm telling you, man, it's just like that old hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full, full, look full with thankfulness in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen? Worship team, you can come up. We're going to close. If you would, just just bow your heads with me. I kind of skimmed the surface here on a lot of things today. There's a lot more in this text. But I just want to give you those, those four perspectives. As we close today, I, I just want to ask you, because again,
again, yours might be slightly different than the person sitting next to you or somebody else. But where do you most need to look this morning? Like as we've looked at God's word, where, what perspective do you most need? You need to just start by just looking down on things from above. Again, you don't have to try to get there. Brother, sister, you don't have to try to get there. You're there. Whether you feel it or not. Christ is in you, the hope of glory, and you are in him. Seated with him. You're secure. You're safe. You're hidden. So you don't always feel it. You don't always see it. It might seem like you're living in the middle a lot. But you're raised. You need to look in at some hard things this morning. And you need to kill them. You need to put them away. Choose to do that. Put it to death because you have died. Call a friend. Call a couple friends. A couple brothers or a couple of sisters in Christ. Confess to them. Obey James chapter 5 confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so that we can be healed. Do that. Have you been so consumed with self that you need to, what you need to do this morning is you just, you need to look out. You need to remember that you're called as God's holy and chosen beloved children, child, to love others and just make that choice even though you might not feel like it just make that choice and for some too maybe it's maybe there's a situation in front of you and it like you're at this point you're just throwing your hands up and you're like I've tried so many times to fix this I've tried so many times to overcome. I just, I can't do it. Whether it's a sin issue, whether it's a relational issue, an obstacle that's in your way. Maybe instead of trying to fix it, what you need to do is just begin to thank God for it. Say, Lord, even though this hurts, I don't really like it and I wish you'd change it. I thank you for it. I thank you for what you're doing in me. Thank you for the purposes that you have for it. And Lord, I thank you that in the end, you're the only one that can move it. You're the only one with the power to take it away. Just begin to thank him. Father, I just pray that these things would mark us as your people. I pray for Mercy Hill Church as just a local church here in the Berlin, Walnut Creek, Ohio area. I pray that we would be a people who have right perspective. pray that when people encounter us that they would encounter love and that they would encounter the truth they would encounter people that hate their sin and they would encounter people that are just bursting with thankfulness at what you have done I know that the world needs this Lord and so please help us to be that salt help us to be that light
guys stand with me. We'll continue to sing.